Well, many of you are looking delightfully hideous this morning, and uh, it's wonderful to hear such beautiful songs coming from you and our choir. But we're here in the second week of Advent, and uh, Advent is a season of waiting and hoping, waiting and hoping, and we're waiting for the birth of Christ. We enter ourselves into the story and, and imagine what it might have been like to wait for the hope of the world to be born as a little baby. But we're also looking forward into the future where Christ will come again very differently than he came the first time. He will come in glory to judge the living and the dead. He will come to judge all things and to make all things new. When we think about waiting and hoping, we, we think about waiting and hoping for good things, for good news. But then in Advent, we, we thrust upon you this idea of we're waiting and hoping for judgment. That often doesn't sound like a good thing, something to be expectantly waiting and hoping for. But it is good news for us when we know the character and the heart of the judge who is Jesus. And being encountered, being confronted by this message of judgment is hard for us as humans. It's a very human thing for us to want to judge to want to be the judge, to want to cast our judgments upon others, upon situations, because it gives us a sense of power, a sense of control. Often it's just an attempt to make us feel like we are something, that we have authority, like we matter. And to be judgmental, the the character quality that, that some of us have and struggle with, is often just an unawareness of the darkness and the brokenness in our own selves. That when we see in other people, we lash out against that. But to judge others is actually fundamentally to be unaware of our own sin and our own brokenness. And I think when we look at the judge, Jesus, when we see his character, when we see his heart, the scripture asks us and will confront us with the question of, Are you up to the task of judging? Are you up to the task which we we so often cling to as a comfort of judging other people, of judging situations? Are you able to do it? Are you up to it? Because judgment is about both authority and ability. Authority and ability. It's about authority in that when we judge something or someone, we claim an authority. It's always a claim to authority. In every circumstance, legal judges have their authority from the law. Parents judge their children, punish their children, because they have authority for being parents. Bosses, you have authority for being bosses. But when we judge other people morally or spiritually, we are claiming an authority over them, a superiority over them, which we don't actually have the right to. That authority is not in us over any other person, morally. But judgment is also about ability, because to judge something, you have to know the situation to judge rightly. And can you know someone's heart? Can you know someone's situation? Can you know the context in which they were raised, in which they were formed, in which led them to their actions that you are now judging? No, you cannot know that. Perfect justice always requires perfect knowledge, and you don't have it. 
we have neither the ability nor the authority to judge other people. But Jesus does. Jesus is the only one who can claim the ability and the authority. So I'm going to invite you to look at me, uh, look with me at Isaiah 11 in our, our Old Testament reading. To look at the character of Jesus, the judge, and why he is worthy. And as you're flipping to Isaiah 11, uh, the number is in the number of your pew Bible is in the bulletin. I want to give a quick background to this unit of Isaiah. Isaiah 1 through 12 is considered the first unit of the book, and primarily what God is doing is He's bringing the nations before Him to judge them, and the nations surrounding Israel and Israel have been compared to high and lofty trees, a forest that is built on pride. And its roots are, are built on trying to make ourselves something important. These high and lofty trees are claiming a status that doesn't actually belong to them, God says. They are trying to, in their pride, usurp an authority, usurp a status that belongs to God alone. And in chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of God in the temple. And he sees the Lord high and lofty, saying that God is the only one. Yahweh is the only one who claims this status, who has a right to be called high and lifted up. And all these others do not. And God's judgment comes in part through the Messiah. Chapter 7 of Isaiah talks about Emmanuel, the the child born of a virgin, who will come. Chapter 9 says a child is given to us. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And through him, God's judgment will come. In chapter 10, just before our reading, the last few verses of chapter 10, 33, says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the balls with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. God is casting his judgments on these high and lofty trees and cutting them down. And chapter 11 starts with a stump. A stump is all that remains, something that's dead, out of which nothing can grow. But out of this stump comes a shoot, a righteous branch. It's a sign of life, a possibility for future restoration, a thrill of hope. This is the Messiah. And Isaiah 11 goes on to say he is the one who will judge. He is the one who will be the agent of God's judgment in the world. Verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. When we hear that repetition in Scripture, it should draw our minds to the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that's giving this and doing this through Jesus, through the Messiah who's judging. The Spirit is laying upon him all these qualities that are needed for a judge. And unlike us, who we have gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there is one Spirit who gives many gifts to his people. Some have the gift of wisdom. Some have the gift of knowledge. Some have the gift of miracles or might or power or tongues or prophecy. But the the gifts of the Spirit are spread out, divided among the body of Christ. So that we might lean on each other 
be dependent on one another to be one united body of Christ. But here in Isaiah 11, it's saying the spirit of the Lord in all of these gifts, the fullness of the spirit rests upon one person. The fullness of the spirit is in him, the Messiah, and this is his authority. Because he has the spirit of God in all its fullness. Because he is God in all his fullness. He has the authority to judge us. Verse 3 moves on. That his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Talking about how he judges not merely with human capabilities, but with superhuman qualities he can see farther than our eyes can see he can hear deeper than our ears can ever hear he has perfect knowledge and with perfect righteousness and perfect equity he judges because he has God's eyes he can judge with God's righteousness and God's perfect knowledge before Jesus every single human heart is known and revealed so that it can be judged This is his ability. Because he has perfect knowledge, he can give perfect justice. And verse 4 says, He judges with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This means that everyone gets a fair hearing. Not only the powerful, not only the wealthy, not only the ones who in this world use the system that they created to build themselves up and to give themselves impunity. They are judged on the same level as the poor, the marginalized, the forgotten about, the good and the bad, the honorable, the disdainful. Everyone gets the same treatment before this judge. The playing field is perfectly and definitively leveled. Jesus is the great equalizer who sees the hearts and souls of all women and men from greatest to least, and he judges perfectly. This is Jesus, the only one with the authority, the ability to judge the world because it's in his identity as God that he does it. He is the king of all kings and the judge of all the world. He is the highest authority and there is no one else who has the right to judge as he does. Now for someone to be both king and judge is is a hard thing for us to wrestle with, especially as Americans. We hear this idea of, of a king and a judge being the same person and that can be terrifying, like living under an evil dictatorship or a tyrannical monarchy like England. Yeah. We keep saying that about our, your tyrannical overlords. Uh, but in America, we rule ourselves. We're a government by the people, for the people. We have a system of checks and balances which are being tested even right now because we know we can't trust any one person with the job of being both ruler and judge. That we have to have different systems of government, different branches so that they can put checks on one another because fallen human nature is always corrupted by that much authority. But Jesus has that much authority because he is God and we trust that he is good. We know that his authority is used for the benefit and the blessing of his people 
and out of love for us that he wants to redeem. All the weight of his authority goes into that. And we rejoice that we serve a judge that cannot be influenced, that cannot be bought, that cannot be capriciously affected by whatever he had for breakfast that day. He is perfect because he is God. And there is comfort for us in this. There is good news in this. Knowing that this is the perfect judge that has the final say over everything. He has the ability. He has the authority. And he is the only one who can judge. And so we ask, what will his judgment look like? How does he enact his judgment on the world? And in that, I would invite you to turn to our gospel reading in John chapter 12 in your Bibles. John chapter 12, starting at verse 31. Jesus is talking about his death on the cross. Verse 33 says, he said this to talk about what kind of death to show what kind of death he was going to die. He's talking about his death in these confusing words. But what he's saying here about his death, that it's fundamentally about judgment against this world and against the ruler of this world, which is Satan. Jesus' death, he's saying, is about judgment against Satan and all the evil of this world. On the cross, he took the full weight of evil and sin and the work of the enemy upon himself. And he broke its power over us, making the way for us to come into eternal life. The cross was an act of judgment against evil, where Jesus, the authority, says, you have no more power here. And he uses this language of when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. When he says, I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. And John, the writer, I think, is intentionally drawing our minds back to Isaiah and the one who is high and lifted up, the only one who claims that authority. Jesus is saying that when he is on the cross, he is most fully revealed in his glory as God Almighty, Yahweh, the high and lifted up one. Paradoxically, the cross is where Jesus reveals his glory as God most fully. And it's the cross that becomes his throne of judgment, his seat of authority. And he breaks the power of canceled sin. So we see here two different judgments happening. One that already has happened, where Christ on the cross judged Satan judged the evil of this world and broke its power over us. But the second judgment yet to come, the final judgment on the day of the Lord, where every single person will be drawn to Jesus and judged based on how they have responded to the first judgment. How have you responded to Christ's work on the cross is the fundamental question of the final judgment. Have you come to the cross and let Jesus break the power of sin in you? Have you let his light shine on the deep and dark places of your heart and your life that he might judge the work of the enemy and the work of evil that's corrupted you and poisoned you and that he might cast it out? Have you come to the cross? That's the question you're going to be asked on the final judgment. And every week in this church, 
We confess in our creed that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We confess that we believe and we trust in Jesus coming to be our judge at the final day. To confess this is to acknowledge that Jesus is the judge and we are not. That he is the only one with the ability and the authority to do so and no one else, us included. Now some of us who, who are caught in habits and struggles with judging other people and other situations around us. Maybe we're confessing this in the creed with our fingers crossed hoping instead to sneak up on the throne of judgment and play judge like a child plays doctor, but with far worse consequences. But Jesus would remind us that to judge is not something we have the authority nor the ability to do. And this is not to tear us down, it's to give us rest. Judgment is a burden you do not need to take on because Jesus has got this. Jesus invites you to rest, to take a breath, because he is on the throne. He is the judge, and you are not. The whole of the Christian life is about letting God be God, letting Jesus be the Lord and the judge. So if you struggle with being judgmental, if that's something, a habit that you have not been able to break, here's my advice for you. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and know him as the final authority, the only one who is able and the only true and perfect judge and rest. As Christians, we need to acknowledge that Jesus alone is the judge and get off the throne that doesn't belong to us and get on our knees before him because the perfect judge, the king of kings, the righteous judge wants to show you his mercy wants to bring you to everlasting life through his judgments. Because this judge has taken your sin upon himself. He has paid the price for you on the cross, and he wants you to come and meet him at the cross and receive his salvation. And let him judge the sin in you and cast it out and wash you clean. This is our only hope, and this is how we make ourselves ready for the judgment that is yet to come. With all this talk of judgment and God's wrath, it can be uncomfortable for us. Let's acknowledge that. For some, it can be scary to know that we will be judged fully, completely. But when we look to Jesus, look at the judge himself, we can be comforted. We can take this as good news because it's for you that he does this. It's out of love for you that he will come in his wrath and in his judgments to destroy the evil that has poisoned your soul and has kept you from him whom you were meant for. He loves you, so he judges you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the judge and that you are perfect. We pray that you would help us to trust in you and to look to you always in all things, knowing that you are the one that has the final say. 
for your glory's sake we pray. Amen.